we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7 specifically, as we continue in our Advent series, as we come now to the culmination of that series, as we look at the four titles given by Isaiah to the coming Messiah. One of the, I think, most moving, memorable Christmas stories, the true Christmas stories, uh, the story that's called the Christmas Truce. Many of you know of this story. It's on the Western Front, World War I, 1914, Christmas Eve. There in the trenches of battle, the British soldiers on one side, the German soldiers on the other side. The stories go that that Christmas Eve, that there were carols, that the soldiers begin to sing, and that the German soldiers back in German uh, would, would sing them back. As the, the cold and the frost still lay freshly upon the ground that Christmas morning, the troops came out of their bunkers, met in the middle, exchanged Christmas gifts. There was a ceasefire in the, in the midst of this horrendous war. The casualties from the battlefield were be, are able to be retrieved and removed off the battlefield. Uh, there, there are stories of candles being lit, carols being sung together, and, and ultimately even in, in such a unique point in history, there was an impromptu soccer match that broke out among the troops. It was peace on earth. But it was fleeting. You know this about that great battle. That while it was peace for a moment, it was just really a brief parenthesis. The ceasefire ended. The bloody battle began again. And in so many ways, it is an illustration of just how elusive peace is. Peace between nations. But you don't have to look on a geopolitical scale. You don't have to look back in, in life to know historically that it has been difficult for, for peace to, to be made among nations and among countries and even among uh, those tribes that can battle against one another. But in your own heart, I mean, peace can be elusive. In your own family, peace can be elusive. In your workplace, peace can be elusive. Peace can be elusive in, in a church. And the question is, is, is there any true lasting peace that we have hope in? Is there any, any hope of, of true lasting peace? And the answer is, is yes. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, reminds us, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. Here are the four titles that we've looked at during this Advent season. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the final one this morning, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, in the midst of the encroaching Assyrian Empire upon Jerusalem. A sudden defeat would be upon them. It would be horrendous bloodshed that was before them. Uh, there'd be many that would be exiled because of this. Isaiah sees light that is shining in the midst of a very dark time in the nation of Israel. And he sees the light in the form of the coming Messiah, 700 years after these events. 700 years. Now we look back upon it 2,000 
years in, in advance here, and we still hold on to the Prince of Peace. I have to say that, and I think many of you would agree, that that title, Prince of Peace, is probably closest to the Christmas story of, of any of these titles here. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. It's really in many ways synonymous with the very message and meaning of Christmas. You remember in Luke chapter 2, the angels appear to give an announcement, and that announcement is the King James Version, reminds us as peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And as the angels announced that, that heavenly announcement there, it was, a, it was a sign once again that our hope is in what is in the, the Prince of Peace. Every year we have a Christmas tradition. I actually think we, uh, you know, Christmas is not uh, finished yet, but we haven't been able to do this. But every year we usually watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I think actually it's on PBS tonight. Is today the 19th? Is today the 19th? Today is the 19th, right? I know that because yesterday was uh, Danielle and I, that was our 22nd anniversary. Do not tell Danielle that I asked you what today was, okay? I'm supposed to know. I'm, I know for sure today is the 19th because yesterday was our 22nd anniversary. Tonight, the Charlie Brown, I'm sorry, I got a little distracted right there. Uh, tonight, the Charlie Brown Christmas special is going to be on. Now, many of you have seen this before, and you know, you know uh, the, the very gist of the, the story is that Charlie Brown, like he was prone to do, suffering a little bit from the holiday blues. So Lucy suggests, hey, you can get out of this, this moment and this difficulty by having a neighborhood Christmas play. Well, I mean, all of the best laid plans of Charlie Brown, they don't come to fruition. He gets this puny, little, kind of pathetic Christmas tree, and all of his friends are laughing at him. And he comes to this place as he's staged this big play, and he says, everything I do just absolutely turns to disaster. I guess I don't really know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And there Linus, this blue blanket, comes to the center of the stage, and he talks about Christmas gifts. No, he doesn't talk about Christmas gifts. He talks about mistletoe. No, he doesn't talk about mistletoe. He talks about decorating your house with lights. No, he doesn't do that. You know what, you know what Linus does in this moment of, of beautiful common grace through the, the altar Charles Schultz? He walks to the center of the stage and he says, I want to tell you what Christmas is all about. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Again, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. 22 years ago, I guess it was about two decades ago, so I guess 20 years ago, we had a friend of ours who made these, I guess, five-foot angels that for years, Danielle and I have put in the front yard next to a manger scene, and through rain, through the very rare occasional snow that will come across Alabama or Mississippi, a lot of wind and storms that have knocked those angels off. We've had to rehab their wings. We've had to repaint them. They, they at times are chipped. We pull them out of the, 
uh, basement. We, we pull them out of the, the shed, and they, they've been through a lot. I mean, a lot of moves, but, but every year we, we pull them out, and they, they stand before with three spotlights saying, Peace on earth. But what in the world does that even mean? I mean, what, what really does peace on earth mean when there's so much bloodshed and so much conflict? Uh, did, did it, were the angels promising that with the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago, that there would be the end of international strife? That it would be the end of nations warring against one another? Because if that is the promise of Jesus' first coming, then he has been and his followers have been an abysmal failure. I mean, you don't have to go back 2,000 years. You can just look back over the last 100 years of our world's history. Two world wars. Korea, Vietnam, Gulf War, Iraq War. There, some estimates are that 108 million people, men and women, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, have lost their life through battle, through military conflict. So is Jesus promising... In his ministry, are the angels promising through their announcement? Is Isaiah through his prophecy promising that all the world is going to sing in this harmony together? And the answer to that, well, well, listen to Jesus. In Luke chapter 21, when the disciples are wondering, what, what, what are going to be some of the signs of the age? What are going to be the, some signs of the, of the world in which we know is not going to be any longer? And, and the sign of, of the coming of, of the kingdom where uh, or the new heaven and the new earth are going to be here. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 21, And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Jesus is saying, hey, things, things are not going to go in such a way where there are going to be all these international peace treaties signed. My ministry, first and foremost, is not about the reconciliation of, of nation states and, and political states together here. No, we, there, there's something more, but what is that? If Jesus doesn't promise us that, that peace on earth is, is not a promise of political peace right here and right now, then the question still remains, what is peace on earth? Well, maybe it's not a, such a large international scope. Maybe it's not about governmental peace, but maybe it's peace in your family, peace at work, peace with friends. You remember that Coca-Cola commercial from 1970, 1971, iconic commercial where you have all of these people gathered together on this hillside and, and we were able to, through this aspiration of this utopia that we're going to be all able to sing together in perfect harmony. Surely that's what Jesus meant, right? That he's, he's bringing all the world together in perfect harmony except when he opens his mouth and he talks. Luke chapter 12, just 10 chapters after this promise from the angels that peace on earth has arrived, Jesus says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? And you can imagine the disciples saying, I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that what the angels said? No, I tell you. 
but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against another, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I had a wedding at four o'clock yesterday. I did not read this passage at that wedding right there. Not, not, never asked. No, no, no bride has ever asked me to read this passage. No groom has ever asked me to read this passage. Jesus did not get the memo, of course, that his ministry was to teach us all to sing in perfect harmony together. I mean, did the angels, I mean, really, what is going on here? Luke chapter 2, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Luke chapter 12, Jesus stands before his disciples and said, hey, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I mean, is, is Jesus having to correct the angels? Again, as he says, well, the angels, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the angels got ahead of themselves. They weren't supposed to say that. They got the wrong memo. I've got to come and I've got to clear this up here. No, it's not peace on earth. Well, of course that's not the case. Of course that's not the case. What Jesus is talking about here, this peace on earth, is not a familial peace. It's not a peace among co-workers. You know that if you are a follower of Jesus here, and if you've taken up your cross, and you're walking that road of discipleship, you, you do not have to go looking for potholes and speed bumps. It, it can be a bumpy road. And at times, at times, that road that you follow will lead you into conflict with people that you like and that you love. At times, it will put you in conflict with family and friends and coworkers and neighbors who might not see eye to eye on very basic fundamentals of what you believe governs this world and is the foundation of your life. And you're not obnoxious about it. You're not going looking for discord. But here's the truth. If you're following in the steps of Jesus, sometimes that is going to put you out of step with this world. I mean, you can be as nice as you want to be. You can smile. You can be kind. I mean, we want to be, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit's working in us to be patient and, and loving, peaceful. But here's the truth, and you know this. You will not be on the same page with someone. If they do not believe that these pages are inspired by someone called the creator of this universe. You don't have to go looking for that. There are going to be times, not all the time, but there are going to be times where discord and a misunderstanding will occur when you're not on the same page. Because the, the page that grounds you, the pages that ground you, do not ground that person, and you like them, and you love them, and you pray for them, but you're just not on the same page. And so what hope is it then if Jesus isn't coming to say, hey, listen, I'm offering all families peaceful, easy feelings through life. Everything is just going to work out together. You're always going to be on the same page with your co-workers. You're always going to be on the same page with your husband or your wife, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your friends, your neighbors. That's not how life works, is it? It isn't. Because why? We don't live in the Garden of Eden. And you are a sinner, and I'm a sinner, and sinners rub up against one another. And there's misunderstanding at times, and we can sin against each other, and the shrapnel of our sin can, can hit 
one another here. And we know this, and at times in life, we agonize over this. At times in life, we stay up because we want to be on the same page. We want to see eye to eye, but we can't go. As much as we are on our knees praying for that, we, we just can't get to that place. And I tell you, there is a, there's been a, a, a life jacket of a passage of Scripture that's been really helpful to me. Because it's just such a realistic passage where Paul is talking about the very thing that I am saying here. And he says in Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. There's some really helpful disclaimers to this passage. There's some real helpful footing for this passage. If possible, Paul is saying, sometimes it's just not going to be possible this side of heaven. And even for Christians... Even for Christians, there are going to be times where we go in different directions. Paul and Barnabas did in the book of Acts. And so there are going to be times where it's not possible to be on the same page, but as far as it depends upon you to be a person that is patient, to be a person that uh, has humility, try to live peaceably with all. So what we see real clearly here is peace on earth is not a promise of personal peace with everybody right here and right now. It is not a promise of peace on earth. Peace on earth is not a promise of political peace uh, right here and right now. Now again, we're back to Charlie Brown. We cleared it all off the stage, and, and we're wondering, well, does anybody, I mean, does anybody know what peace on earth is all about then? And we need Linus, again, to come to the center of the stage. And he's got his blue blanket with him. And the passage that he quotes is the very hope that we have to understanding what peace on earth is actually all about. Again, look back at that passage. Luke chapter 2, verse 13. You see it on the screen again. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. And what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's look at those words again. In the original language of the New Testament, one of the clearest translations of what's going on here is, is, is this idea that peace toward men to whom God has goodwill, on whom his favor rests. It's kind of clunky. That's why it's not translated that way. But the, but the literal is peace toward men, whom, on whom, to whom God has good will, on whom his favor rests. The essence of what the angels are saying when you get this is absolutely earth-shattering. If we go back to our greatest grandparents, we go back to our, our lineage and our family tree, and we go back all the way to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, there, there was a, a course of consequences that is played out, not just at a national level, but at a personal level. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. No one is righteous. No, not one. We sin by our nature and we sin by our nurture. We are sinners through and through. And guess what? That, that has a problem. That is an issue because God is perfectly holy. So the angels promise goodwill toward men, There's ill will as we are sinners, alienated from a holy God. There's discord between us and a holy God. There's enmity between us and a holy God. There is a distance, a chasm between us and a holy God. You get the point. Things are not right between us as sinners 
and he, a holy, righteous God. But here the angels are saying, you know, you can have peace on earth right now because the Prince of Peace was born in a manger. And so the peace on earth that the angels are announcing is the peace on earth that we as sinful human beings are reconciled to a holy God through the saving work of Jesus. Every year, you know this is what peace on earth is all about because you sing it. Some of, the, some of the best ways that we've transmitted theology are not through lectures, not through sermons, not through taking tests in seminaries, but gathering as the church shoulder to shoulder and singing out loud a great hymn like Charles Wesley's hymn in the 18th century. We sang it before I got up here to preach, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Best commentary on what it means to have peace on earth. We sing it in those opening lines. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners, what? Reconciled. This is what peace on earth is all about here. It's the mercy of God that flows to us as sinful humans, enemies of the cross, enemies of righteousness, that through Jesus are reconciled. And not only are we reconciled, we're at peace with him, the Prince of Peace. Again, go back to that Wesley hymn. Go back to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sang it just before I got up here. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Deep, rich theology. Deep, rich truths that we sing. And they're a part of us. Why? Because they need to be a part of us. The heart of the gospel. The heart of Christmas. What it means to have peace on earth is Romans 5.1. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. What does that mean? If you're a Christian, you have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about peace on earth, it's not the end of national hostilities. It's it's not that every friend and every family member is always going to be on the same page with you. It's not this ethereal sort of goal that we have before us. Any type of human peace is going to be short-lived. As beautiful as that Christmas truce of Christmas Eve in 1914 was, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because they're singing carols together. They're giving Christmas presents together. And in just the course of 24 hours, they're going to be shooting each other again. And if you think in life that the goal of life is that you're going to have peace at home and peace at work and peace internally, you're going to misunderstand where the source of peace is. It's not your pursuit. It's not your doing. It's not your striving. It's the pursuit of you through God in His Son, Jesus. The source of peace has a name, and that name is the Prince of Peace. And when you trust Him as your Savior, When you turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins, you are no longer at odds with God. You're no longer at a distance with God. You're no longer in this chasm away from God. You know where you are? You are his son. You are his daughter adopted by his love. You are reconciled and the spirit of God dwells in you. Peace dwells in you. And this is really helpful. I mean, this is, this is the best news. Jesus told his disciples. They, they, they could hardly understand this. And of course they couldn't. They, they couldn't connect all the dots in the moment. 
But he's telling them in John's gospel, I'm not going to be here with you for much longer. They're confused by this. And so he has to tell them again and again, words like this in John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now he's right there with them. And they're only going to understand this after he was crucified, after he's resurrected. And then as they're sitting and they watch him ascend to the right-hand throne of the Father. And then they're able to say, oh, 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 I remember. He's told us that he's not going to leave us. He's not here with us, but he has sent peace to dwell with us. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have good news. And that is that the peace of God, the Spirit of God, lives inside of you. So you don't go looking for peace. Peace dwells in you, even in the midst of conflict and discord around you. And that's good news. It's really good news for the realistic, difficult world that we all live in. A passage of Scripture that has just walked with me for years and years, and I just commend it to you as a passage to write down, to cut out, to put it before you, to have it in your heart and before your eyes in whatever way you can, is, is Paul's words in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything. There's a lot of things to be anxious about, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the, do you see the repetition here? Do you see the theme? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And again, the word of God is just so true because we need his peace to surpass our understanding. Because if it's left to our eyes, there's not really a lot of hope. But what we are hopeful about is a peace of God that surpasses our understanding, that goes beyond our eyes, that goes beyond our apprehension, that goes beyond our intellect and our ingenuity. It, it isn't as if God says to you, if you're a follower of me, guess what? I'm going to bulldoze all of the obstacles out of your life. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't say, hey, if you're a follower of me, I'm giving you a ticket to where there are never going to be broken promises or broken relationships before you. He doesn't promise that. He promises that when we walk through the valley and it's dark in the valley and we don't understand the valley, that his rod and his staff will comfort us. That surpasses all of our understanding. He promises us when we look out at life and, and things don't work out like we thought it was going to work out, that it actually works out for our good and his glory because he works all things together for those that love him or are called according to his purpose. When we walk through the valleys and when we walk through those lonely roads where it seems as if people don't understand us, they don't get us, they don't value us, some of you are there now. And you might be surrounded by friends, you might be surrounded by family, but you feel so alone. It's in that moment that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding reminds you, whispers or shouts to you, I have promised I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's this kind of peace that even in the midst of the storm, Jesus can silence the storm. Even when we're going through the storm, it stills our soul. Jesus doesn't promise to you that he eliminates all conflict or he eliminates all difficulty, but he promises that he is with us, and that gives us permission, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the eye of the storm, to take a deep breath. Whew. 
I don't have this situation. I can't control this situation. I've not chosen this route. But he is with me. He is your peace. No matter what road you're traveling. As a pastor, I, it's a privilege, it's a responsibility, it's a, it's a prayerful part of the unique joy of being a pastor. So I, I have permission to be with people like yesterday. The most glorious moment of, of uh, uh, a young man and a young woman coming to that place where two become one. And I, I have a view that just so few people have. And it is an absolute privilege. And I can walk into a hospital room. After a baby has been born and pray with a family. And to see the tears of joy that that family has. But I also know what it is to walk into a hospital room. There are tears of real grief. As a loved one lays there and has gone to be with the Lord. And so many times, I, I just cannot tell you how many times in the midst of tears, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of a, a road that, that a, a person would not choose to travel down, that that person has looked at me as I've come to, to, to offer comfort. And they'll look at me and say, hey, pastor, thank you for being here. I can't tell you what I'm experiencing in this moment. I don't truly understand it. But through this conversation I had a moment ago or weeks ago, I have this overwhelming sense of peace. And I say, yeah, yeah, that's it. You're exactly right. That's what he promises. A peace that passes all understanding. Even in the midst of heartbreaking loss, strife and discord the complexities of sin and life here on this earth. He doesn't zap it away from us, but when we walk through it, he promises to give us that peace. It's a peace, again, that's best just to sing about and to be reminded of the wonderful lyrics of Horatio Spatford in the midst of his own horrific loss where he would write these words that have been so iconic for people who have been fellow travelers and strugglers in the midst of grief and loss. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, again, did he really say that? Whatever my lot, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I'm looking out at a sanctuary this very morning, that not only knows these lyrics, but you've lived these lyrics because you've trusted the Prince of Peace as your Savior. And you've trusted that even when you can't understand what's going on around you, there is peace inside of you because the Spirit of God will never leave you nor forsake you. So you know what it is to sing and you know what it is to live it is well with my soul. Let us pray.